Hi, welcome to the last episode of season one of Speak Like a CEO. For our season finale, we have a very special guest, Sebastian Straube, a man who quite literally goes above and beyond as the founder and CEO of Interstellar Ventures, an emerging venture capital fund and ecosystem builder for the commercial space industry. Sebastian is passionate about bringing bold ideas to life and is currently working to create a future in which people can live, work, and play in space. Sebastian's entry into the space sector began when he stumbled onto Earth observation data. Think those mind-blowing satellite pictures of how Earth looks from space while working on a supply chain project. He began to think about new sectors and new opportunities for professional growth. And the rest, as they say, is history. For over 10 years, Sebastian focused on making companies greener as a corporate sustainability expert. He's always been focused on radical innovation and grew frustrated seeing large corporations not moving as fast as he would like. He transformed his desire for faster change into his current career as an investor in commercial space startups. We discuss the potential of new technologies to create new markets, developing interstellar ventures into the first private space agency, and of course, going to the moon. Enjoy. I was really fascinated by it, it always have been, is uh, people. Finally, technology did something for What would be the single most valuable piece of advice you'd give us? Because we found what we loved to do. That people with passion can change the world for the better. That's what we believe. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Speak Like a CEO, where we talk to CEOs about the secrets and pitfalls of communication. I'm Lena, and I'm here with my co-host, Oliver. Hi, Lena. How's it going? Very well, and you? Yeah, not too bad. So we have here Sebastian Straube. He's the CEO and founder of Interstellar Ventures, which is an emerging venture capital fund and new space ecosystem builder. Sebastian has big plans in the area of new space, bringing it to Germany, but also to other countries, the US and Luxembourg. We're going to talk about that. And he has a, you know, um, a lot of experience in business uh, and consulting, has built numerous businesses and uh, all around a very interesting character. Hi, Sebastian. Hi, thanks for having me. So a few quick questions to start. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Uh, I prefer coffee. Do you work better early in the morning or late at night? Uh, early in the morning. Who's your biggest inspiration? I guess currently it's Elon Musk. What's the most used app on your phone? Wow, that's a good question. I guess it's Gmail. Facebook or Twitter? Uh, none of them. Okay. And <laughs> one thing on your bucket list? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. <laughs> going to Mars. Yeah. Well, um, no, going to the moon, actually. To the moon, yeah. <laughs> okay. Bigger vision. Yeah. Um, so let's take a step back to the beginning of your career. Could you just talk us through your steps and how you ended up at Interstellar Ventures or setting up Interstellar Ventures? Yeah, that's actually a really good question uh, because um, in the beginning of my career, I was not even thinking about these uh, topics I'm currently dealing with. So the beginning of my career was really focused on corporate sustainability management. And uh, when I was back at university, I even started my own students organization dealing with these topics. And uh, this enabled me actually to work uh, for the insurance company called Allianz to work on uh, corporate sustainability management topics. And I've been working in that field for over 10 years. But um, as I've been always focused on innovation and really also radical innovation, I was a little bit uh, frustrated to see large corporations not moving that fast as I would like to see them moving. So, uh, and back in 2015, um, 
after having built up my own advisory company here in Berlin and really worked with uh, large organizations like Allianz, um, BMW, Lufthansa, Lanxess, and also some of the ministries, um, I decided, okay, maybe it's time to try something new. And uh, through one challenge, which one of my clients had, it was basically to try to find a new way for um, assessing global supply chains on their environmental impact. Um, I stumbled into um, Earth observation data and using this type of new information for providing new business intelligence. Right. And this is how I really uh, started to think about uh, this new, new, new sector as a new opportunity for myself. And this is also um, the, the way how I got in touch with, with space. And what people probably realize is Earth observation data is often for free, right? It's provided and you just have to figure out a way to monetize it. And yeah, that, it. that's partially true um, because you have also, beside the openly available data, also a new type of private uh, industry, uh, which is offering, obviously, this uh, data, not for free, but um, on a subscription base. But overall, there's a lot of information uh, which is openly accessible. That's true. But uh, you have also... New constellations coming online, which are providing this data, obviously, on a, on a certain business model, uh, which is not always free. So everyone's heard of space and maybe knows something or a little bit about it. But what is new space and why is it such an interesting industry and why is radical innovation so important there? Yes, I guess the easiest way to describe it is uh, when you look back and I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 uh, years even, this whole industry was uh, driven by uh, national uh, budgets. And I mean national budgets, I mean, for example, the Soviet Union budget or obviously the US and these large projects have been really heavily uh, capital intensive when you think about the International Space Station, multi-billion uh, dollar large project and developing large satellites. It was also an you know, billions in terms of really developing this technology. But right now, due to the uh, dropping of the price, access to space and also uh, new technologies and new business models, uh, you have a more democratized access to this industry, to the sector. And talk about new space, it's basically this new type of dynamic uh, which we see. But I think most importantly is um, that you have new markets and new entrants into this industry. And overall, technology is driving um, this transformation, this technology, reusability, obviously, but also 3D printing and um, new methods of really managing projects are really at the core of, of the disruption of this industry. But you have also more and more uh, new players, new entrants. You have uh, small countries setting up the space agencies. I have obviously uh, venture capitalists uh, coming into the game and really asking for returns and asking for who is the customer besides the usual space agency. So it's a lot of dynamism and um, I, I guess overall we are witnessing the transformation based on technology, which is really driving the so-called fourth uh, industrial revolution here. But uh, coming back, these are new markets which uh, obviously create also new demand for services. You say this so matter-of-factly, but um, <laughs> what you described requires huge amounts of capital and know-how and access to technology. So why exactly do you see your role in this as, as the financer behind these initiatives, the company builder, all of it? 
Yeah. So uh, when we look at this on a, on a regional level, I would say in Europe, there's a lot of potential looking at companies which leverage the already existing, let's say, infrastructure, which is in space. And here we are talking about uh, all these satellite constellations, as, as we have been referring to the open open access to this information and data. And there, um, definitely what I see in Europe is um, more kind of the stimulation of the uptake of this data, talking, for example, the Operations like uh, Deutsche Bahn, so really an organization which is which has a huge potential of developing certain use cases for, for example, using Earth observation data, navigation data, broadband with uh, internet connections, or basically powering up um, their uh, business uh, and business models. So I think uh, when you look at Europe, uh, it's more about okay, how how can you connect the non corporate non space corporations to this uh, let's call this opportunity space of data, and um, I see our role especially in Europe to really building this bridge and this is how we refer to this ecosystem builder but overall when when you look at the global landscape um, then things like really using for example microgravity for commercial research opening up new possibilities and new markets and just last week NASA announced that they are opening up the International Space Station for commerce what this means is basically um, Obviously, US-based companies have now the ability to leverage this infrastructure for business. Business, uh, which hasn't been done before on that kind of, let's say, scale, uh, but this also enables uh, new types of uh, business models and obviously also technological innovations to really drive this market forward. So I think, um, at least fr from our perspective, we see uh, um, the possibility to link up non-space corporations to the um, space assets, assets which are already there, but also to think about about new markets in the future. So space is, I guess, becoming quite commercial with, I guess, this reduced maybe barrier to the market and the reduced budgets and different geographic locations. And that's where you guys come in there as being able to kind of facilitate this conversation between, I guess, maybe some of the more established players and some of the newer the newer players, correct? Yes, that, that's true. And this was actually for me, I think the, the biggest learning, you know, as a person not coming from this industry and really um, jumping into this uh, cold water in the beginning, I had really to talk to a lot of different stakeholders. And this is, I think, coming back to, to communication, um, a, a huge, I think, challenge to really um, bring the different uh, points of view uh, into one um crystallized opportunity focus, I would say, because startups, um, they have other goals than investors and um, institutional uh, partners and then even uh, governments. So all of them have a different perspective on what actually space is as an opportunity for everybody. So you have to be able to translate between different uh, different stakeholders uh, very clearly because everybody obviously has um, their own interests. Uh, but um, on the other side, this is, this is exactly the topic which excites me to really see uh, one um, industry which is evolving and and really being democratized from the perspective of different stakeholders and really enabling mostly the startups to to innovate in this very let's say um, um, yeah very complex environment when do you see things are going in terms of space uh, 10 years from now will we be back on the moon will we be on mars or on the way to mars what's what's your vision or your expectation well, I think uh, those big uh, visions uh, obviously make sense and um, these this visions get uh, mostly governments uh, really, really into a position of, okay, and now we are again in a race and, and it's between the US, China, India and, and even uh, some European countries. 
But um, I think what really excites me is, is the uh, possibility of new technologies uh, which can enable new markets like 3D printing of eventually maybe organs uh, in space or really using quantum technologies for encryption or um, really, you know, using um, reusable launch uh, systems to drive the costs down. And um, all these things in the end will enable maybe in 20 or 30 years from now us to get to Mars. There are still very many questions uh, related to human health, uh, which are not solved yet, obviously. But um, as a stepping stone, everybody obviously is now eyeing uh, the moon uh, as really the testing ground for technology, for developing new industries. And this is, I think, uh, let's see, from the visionary point of view, the most exciting thing about really thinking about the moon as an as a stepping stone towards other destinations, but also proving ground for technology and eventually also new industries. I think something like the space industry, you have to be visionary because it's not a concept that people can see clearly. It's not a tangible product on Earth. It's really out of this world. How do you go about kind of, I guess, communicating something that's so abstract and bringing it back down to how this is going to impact our lives? Yeah, I think you're hitting now on the really uh, hardest challenge uh, because, you know, we can be very quickly inspired by movies and by Elon talking about these really uh, very ambitious things. But in the end, uh, somebody has to pay for that. And um, <laughs> I think in the end, what really convinces people are very hard business cases and application uh, examples, you know, which, which really showcase the potential of uh, doing something in space. And I really try rather to focus uh, not so much talking about the visionary stuff, because as you know, um, you know, the name Interstellar Ventures has also some vision behind but this is something what i'm not really talking about that much because you have to really to focus on on the hard business side of things uh, but in the end what really uh, gets people uh, behind this uh, topic is uh, the, the 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 real use cases really the business cases which are driving uh, this whole dynamic in, in the space industry right now but again, you know, I, I, I love those visions uh, which are out there by Bezos, by Elon and others. But I think we shouldn't um, talk about that much about these visions because we have just too many of them right now um, out there. Uh, but really focus on, on the hard stuff, how really to do things. And also what, what benefit it brings to people on Earth, I suppose. Yeah, I think this is the biggest topic. Um, you know, um, most of the space agencies are not really struggling with, but really trying to get across. When you go out, out to the street and ask people uh, about the International Space Station, what we, are, what we are doing there, I guess not that many people will give you a clean answer. So we have in the space industry try really to uh, become better in communicating about the benefits. Uh, but yes, I think uh, the, communicating the benefits and getting people excited about the possibilities in space is, is a huge challenge, I guess, overall for the industry. And what is your approach to communication? Um, as I said, so I, I'm trying rather to focus on, let's say, the uh, quantitative uh, <laughs> information versus the, uh, let's say, visionary stuff. But still, um, I think uh, what is really important, especially when it comes to the space industry, is really to focus on use cases. And overall, obviously, when, when you talk about the industry, um, I'm trying to kind of paint a positive picture about what's possible and and as, as you know this still relates to the industry very much but overall um try to really stay positive on what's possible 
but uh, tried really to be uh, more focused on, on the data uh, and really the, the outcomes. Um, it's quite an interesting choice. You said that the visionary things don't sell as well in terms of persuading people, getting buy-in from stakeholders, and yet people like Elon and Jeff Bezos are, are doing exactly that and, and get people to buy into their vision. Um, just trying to understand how, how you reach that conclusion, or is it just how you see your role in the whole space ecosystem? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I saw Elon last year, uh, no, it was 2017, um, during a presentation at Adelaide and where he was talking about the update of his uh, vision for um, the um, interplanetary transportation system to Mars. So it was uh, interesting and visionary, but at the end of this presentation, you ask yourself, okay, how are we are going to do this? And it's also a couple of weeks ago, Jeff Bezos was show, showing his uh, Blue Moon transportation vehicle to the moon surface and there are a lot of um, positive and uh, very uh, inspirational stories uh, behind those presentations but uh, in my opinion we really should focus rather on okay how should we get this done and we are based in berlin overall in europe and i know that this overall ecosystem here is um, not equipped with that many um, wealthy individuals doing this type of uh, stunts and having also the ability to really deliver on those ideas so therefore maybe it's more kind of a european approach or more a german approach really focus on okay how can we do this versus how the big vision uh, is and how we are going to convince people to get them behind this vision maybe in smaller cycles you know i used the opportunity to talk about the bigger vision of interstellar ventures but um, rather focus more on those down-to-earth informations um, based on the experience which i just have from from germany and europe really talking about really how do you get these things done rather okay what's the big vision uh, behind it it's a super pragmatic approach and i think it's one that's really necessary i think for the whole new space industry to kind of i guess maybe cut through some of this noise and like fluff about it um i really like that approach you mentioned some of your stakeholders and when we chatted last week um one of your quotes stuck in my mind and that was you would like Interstellar Ventures to be the first non-governmental space agency. Could you elaborate a little bit on that and, and how, how, this, how you can get this across to stakeholders? Sure. When I think about uh, Interstellar Ventures in terms of really strategic approach and uh, when I look at the um, European ecosystem in particular, beginning, I didn't saw that much uh, deal flow, which um, in the end also inspired me about uh, the uh, rapid growth opportunities and really the scalability of those uh, ventures. And I was thinking, okay, why is this like that? Why do we have the situation in Europe? And, um, you know, how can we really improve um, this ecosystem? here and um, <laughs> this private space agency is just an analogy for a strategically focused uh, investment vehicle uh, which picks uh, its bets related to a certain uh, way of thinking and uh, seeing the market evolving and uh, when you think in that way then you suddenly realize okay when you when you put your bets on those strategically uh, chosen ventures then you end up in, in a kind of a have yeah, I, I chose this word uh, private space agency type of um, uh, operation because in the end you are trying to uh, on one side uh, enable an industry to grow but on on the other side you're also trying to to accelerate those ventures and um, when we talk for example about the moon um, obviously it's a very pre-market situation 
But if you put your bets on those right companies who can eventually maybe provide the communication, uh, the transportation, and um, let's say also habitation on the moon, then suddenly you end up uh, as an organization really enabling a, a new type of industry uh, evolving in space. And for me, this is this is in a way also the role of a traditional space agency to really enable industry to grow. So therefore, I you know chose this word as a private space agency because we are enabling something what enables also then in the end others. And this is how I also see the role of a space agency. To me, there seems to be a lot of risks involved. I mean, obviously, it's a calculated risk. I guess you're not going into this um, blindly. But yeah. how do you, I guess, kind of now make sure that the startups that you're invested in um, really succeed and make it? Like, what's the process there? So we do uh, deliberate due diligence. Um, so the team uh, needs to be screened. Are these, uh, type, you know, the right persons, the right entrepreneurs who are doing, who are pursuing this idea and this this uh, business? And then uh, a very big part is also in the technological uh, due diligence. Uh, as far as we can, we um, assess also the maturity of the technology and how they can accelerate on really developing it further. And then um, also, what are the possible um, new uh, markets uh, where can those teams accelerate and really get into a dynamic opportunity where they can really uh, drive the business and then uh, from the beginning very early on we also focus on okay what is actually the exit strategy how they can be acquired uh, what is the uh, what is the strategy for you know also building some some relationships uh, with uh, non-space corporations we rather really um, try to, to figure out how we can support this venture based uh, on our network and also uh, see how much mature this, this team is in terms of technology and also the, the really business acumen and what kind of expertise already bring from maybe a previous um, startups they've been working on. And I guess a lot, of, a lot of the people you deal with and um, are, have a technical background, yeah. aerospace engineering, say, um, and yet they have to convince you and then the, the rest of the world that their business idea is, is sound and will produce good results, but also business yeah. results. Um, what are you looking for in terms of communications and storytelling and maybe pitching when people come to you and apply for, you know, being part of um, Interstellar Ventures or your support in, in you know, building the company? Right. So um, for us, I think the, the biggest field where we have an early on interest is really what is the market and how do these teams intend to scale the current operations into let's say the US market or the Asian market and how do they envision themselves being uh, on the cutting edge of leading the markets and how they intend to really uh, attack, uh, let's say, a certain certain size of the markets. And this is really coming down to the business side of, of the venture. Not so much about technology because technology can be de-risked always. And we have also good access to a lot of um, expertise in that regard, but really how they are aiming to become the market leader uh, in the niche and and this is i think the um the most important um point when we start to talk um to those uh, teams very early on we talk a lot about on this show some of the differences between like maybe the european style of communication and the american style of communication which tends to be a little bit more you know visionary and out there and loud whereas the european is quite practical um maybe now between i guess maybe other industries and space do you think there are other ways of communicating that are necessary in terms of you know, showing that you really are credible to 
do something so I guess like technologically advanced or show that your team yeah. really is the right team to hedge your bets on? Maybe the automotive industry, as we uh, look uh, now what's going on overall, I think, in the world. I think this is a reasonable level of visionary stuff, uh, which uh, European companies uh, show showcase overall uh, on, on the international scene. Because it's, I think it's a right mix of, you know, autonomous flying and electric cars and what's actually possible in terms of really... Um, autonomy and artificial intelligence and um, I would say that um, because space it's so uh, far off in terms of the time span because people are talking about 10, 20, 30, 40 years um, timescales and then you have this um, automotive uh, transformation which is which is happening right now but people see all right so there's a let's say a certain degree of future in there and then they um, somehow uh, create uh, such a credible story which sticks in the here and now but also refers to a certain degree of the future that i think that the um, uh, current um, um, transformation going on in the auto automotive industry might be a good blueprint for the overall uh, space industry to to use so what is the here and now kind of attachment to, um, you know, really the, the transformation which is going on? A little bit kind of the looking ahead into five years uh, into the future, not necessarily doing this, let's say, 10, 20, 30, 40 years bets on, on the visionary I stuff. I think that's a great approach. I think like people can kind of imagine what's going to happen in five years. We don't get so scared by yeah. robots yeah. Yeah. and yeah. AI and whatever else. And, and I've read that the Interstellar Ventures as a, as a fund has now um, captured 100 million euros. Is that right? Not not yet. We are, capture, we are still in the process of capturing. But that's the aim. Yeah. That's the aim, exactly. And as I said, also, we are looking at this from an international yeah. point of view. Uh, so this is very important, um, and especially now with all the dynamic going on in the US, it's also super excited that I have also a team there and that we can really play there. Uh, but uh, in terms of Europe, I think um, right now the most exciting place to do these things is Luxembourg, and this is also why we've chosen Luxembourg for uh, being kind of the um, home mm -hmm. for our fund. Um, especially when it comes to regulation and um, yeah, a regulatory environment which enables very ambitious entrepreneurs to do these things which they want to do. Um, Germany is, um, how should I say, Germany is trying. <laughs> Uh, and there's a lot of opportunity, a lot of lot of potential, especially uh, in the non-space um, industry related really yeah. to high tech. And this is a missed opportunity, I think. And this is also from the point of view of communication, not yet uh, communicated very clearly to this uh, to the segment of industry that it's um, the space is providing a near-term future uh, a lot of uh, innovation possibilities for for the so-called uh, Deutscher Mittelstand and maybe this is an issue of communication not the right communication or maybe it's just the lack of information um, for the owners of these companies to really see themselves uh, part of this mm. new industry. Do you see your role um, in kind of communicating this? Or do you think that this will just come with time and 
you know, the well, more people adopt it. Yeah. So um, to be honest, I've been in that role for the for the last year, really trying to to communicate and convince and talk to a lot of politicians. And um, I don't see necessarily this is our role, but uh, somebody has to do it. And I think right now um, there is more understanding uh, about that, and people are starting to really take up this, uh, let's say, narrative and messaging. Uh, and I don't see us uh, as a as a let's say um leading voice um for making this very clear uh, i think there are other organizations out there uh, who should uh, take the lead and especially the german federal government uh, and uh, in particular um, the ministry of economy should um, take the lead and really communicate um, those uh, benefits uh, to the non-space industry but as of now, during the last couple of months, we have been leading this and um, definitely communicating into this direction. And But I think that sh there should be a body out there uh, which is more progressively communicating about those opportunities. And that's the voice of new space in Germany. Um, obviously, you're convincing people one by one, countless yeah. meetings, I'm sure, yeah. and in small groups. But <laughs> do you need a bigger vehicle, a bigger channel yeah. of communications? Yeah. Yeah, this would be, yes, this would be excellent. Yeah. What, what could that be? I mean, do you have a vision or an idea for that? Well, um, I think that uh, an annual basis type of event obviously would, uh, would be very helpful, but uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, large events and bringing people together and then everybody's happy and talks on these panels about this exciting stuff. But in the end, it needs to be somehow operational that really things um, start uh, to happen and that you see some um, new legislation or you see a new type of uh, private-public partnership or you see uh, maybe grants or you know something coming out of it. Uh, maybe... Uh, somehow an, kind of a version of a blended platform like a virtual but also face-to-face uh, -face, uh, meetings, uh, kind of a maybe think and do tank um, entity which is, uh, which is promoting this topic um, not just only in those nerdy cycles but really very broadly. Uh, maybe I don't know. Uh, you pick a TV station and and you know creating a, a series you know about um, these new entrepreneurs worldwide, what they are doing, what's this industry all about, and how we as Germans can participate in it. I think this should have really a, a very broad um, impact on on society, but also uh, on entrepreneurs. And who should do this? I I really don't know. Um, Maybe you guys uh, can take up uh, the lead, but um, got a couple of hours. <laughs> no, but I think this is really uh, important. So what is really missing is uh, the right communication and really the, the right uh, channel to get this information out there. You know, as as a podcast on communications, I can't help to dive into that a little bit. I think you guys are really taking on some very big challenges, some important challenges for the future, and I guess there's a there's going to be a lot of hiccups and road bumps along the way. I guess what's your best piece of um, communications advice for people who are also navigating through difficult fields with, you know, regulatory challenges, budgetary challenges? Well, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Well, I think uh, you should you should showcase uh, the, the opportunity cost, uh, which um, everybody is missing, because in the end, when, when you miss this boat, um, now thinking about Germany, then uh, you are not part in a very exciting and disruptive industry which is unfolding before our eyes. So 
I think um, communicating about the missing, the missed opportunities uh, is is a good thing, because this convinces politicians and this convinces maybe sometimes as well uh, not convinced entrepreneurs. And then um, very quickly showcasing this this um, very down to earth use cases, business applications, and really the the business side of, of the things, but. Overall, maybe what works uh, in this uh, in this industry is really to to talk about what's what would be actually missing, and then referring to the Chinese, to referring to the US. So obviously, the the angst here uh, might be also be a nice uh, trigger. <laughs> the German angst, yeah, uh, might be also tri- triggering something. But I don't see that, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I think really what what's what what kind of a future are we missing out here? Uh, I think this is this is something um, very important. What, to what communicate. channels do you use for communications? We talked about meetings, and you said yeah. potentially yeah. a sort of a new space summit once a year would be yeah. great. Do you use digital channels at all? If so, which ones? Right. So um, in that regard, we are still very uh, undigital, I would say. So um, because we are still kind of on, on the set, set up phase and because this industry is highly complex to, to navigate, we rather tended to be more kind of one-on-one communication, not, not so much about going out there and, and really sharing a visionary story, uh, let's say more uh, concrete things. Uh, this will definitely change uh, once we are fully operational and up and running. And then I guess we should definitely think about a narrative and a story uh, which also differentiates in the, in the international context. So obviously we are not Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos uh, talking about those visionary things, but I would love to do. Uh, but I think we have to find our our way uh, in this, in this uh, overall narrative um, by having a very um, inspirational but also very pragmatic story which we'd like to share with the audience. But we are not there yet, uh, to be honest, but this is definitely something I'm, I'm uh, currently really uh, thinking about a lot, how to position ourselves between those uh, big giants in the US but also the very competitive new player China coming now onto, onto the scene. So how can we um, position us uh, in this kind of an environment? Thanks so much for sharing so much of your wisdom and experience. Is there anything coming up into Stellar Ventures this year that we should be aware of or you want to share with the listeners? Um, well, there. Obviously, we want to um, close our fund. I think uh, once we are <laughs> ready with that, um, this would be super excited, super exciting, and I was super excited about that because this has been um, many years in the making. And um, I think there are some couple of things uh, we are working on, but um, uh, yeah, not not shareable yet. But um, hopefully, uh, until end of the year, I will share more information. Well, if the hundred million euro fund comes together, that's uh, quite a lot of ammunition to make new space yes. really happen here. I know in terms of space exploration, it's huge, but still 100 million euros. You can you can move quite a lot of uh, gear for that amount of money at That's this day and age. So Sounds looking exciting. forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah. so much. Thank you, Sebastian. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the last episode of Speak Like a CEO season one. We've really appreciated your support. Thanks to all our guests who have taught us so much. Thanks to our hosts, Oliver Aus and Lena Carlson, to our editors and producers over the last season, Céline van den Reul, Bianca Amorim, and myself, Ariane Coulomb. 
While you're waiting for season two, remember to follow us everywhere at like a CEO underscore. And stay tuned for a lot of cool announcements, maybe even something involving an impending book launch. So have a nice summer and see you in a few months. Bye. Thank you.